Welcome, everybody. Thanks for uh, <clears throat> spending some time here with us at Grace this weekend. Uh, welcome, everybody watching online. Thanks for being with us as well. My name is uh, Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you and say hi to you. You're going to have to bear with my voice a little bit. Forgive me for it. I stayed up on Friday. I stayed up till 3.30 a.m., watching the new Star Wars movie. Somehow I got talked into that, and I'm way too old. So now what was fun turned into a medical crisis. This is what happens <clears throat> as you get older. So my, uh, my voice is giving out a little bit, but if you ignore it, I will too. Uh, we are in this conversation uh, about uh, uh, this series called So This Is Christmas, and I and, uh, want to finish that conversation up this weekend. And throughout the conversation, what we've been doing is this. We kind of set this premise in place that Christmas needs to be received uh, on the deepest spiritual levels, right? So the holidays are great and all that kind of stuff, but of course, Christ is accomplishing more than like a happy time. And so we said that phrase, this is Christmas, uh, you can receive that with a, a question mark, you can receive it with a period or with an explanation point where you look and say, man, I, I'm going to explain, exclaim what Christ has done for me and the depth of his love and his, uh, his selfless act of moving toward me, the self-initiated sacrifice that he made. And that's really what Christmas is and what it's about. And we want to kind of take that in on the deepest of levels. And then over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how then as a Christ follower, what I want to do is I want to emulate that, imitate it, and illustrate it. I want to I take kind of the depth of God's love in my life and how that has affected my life, and I, I want to put that on display by, by living out that love in, in the same character ways and trait ways that Jesus would. So when we look at his heart and his mind, what would he do and how would he interact with us? And <clears throat> we said he would do several things. For instance, he would express humility through generosity. Uh, he would give to us. It's what he did and what he does and what we would want to do as well. And then last weekend, we talked about how he, he came as a peacemaker. He made peace between God and man, the, the enmity, the, the ongoing state of conflict spiritually that we lived in. Uh, Jesus is a peace offering for that. So God would want us to illustrate that and imitate and emulate to the people around us that there can be God, peace between God and man and then peace with each other, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so all those conversations are out online. If you want to get our app, if you church grace, uh, search Grace Church 30, you can download the app and they're all there and you can listen to them. Uh, this weekend, I want to kind of finish this conversation by talking about the idea of hope and light. So the Bible uses this metaphor of light a lot. We're going to talk about it, but I want to bring that light or I want to bring that hope of Christ into all of my relationships and for the sake of our conversation this weekend, particularly into Christmas. Okay, so what does that look like and how does that function? Uh, let me show you this. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Isaiah chapter 9. It's kind of a, a little bit of a, of a famous Christmas passage, so some of us might be familiar with it. Isaiah chapter 9, and the Bible's in the chairs there is page 479. You can use those, or of course, all of this is on the app. You can look at that too, okay? So Isaiah chapter 9, page 479. Uh, Isaiah is writing about something. So um, just for a little context, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. So in the beginning of the Bible, God spoke through these people called prophets a lot. And uh, prophets were people who would speak on God's behalf 
And a lot of times they would kind of foretell the future. It would let, God would let them know what's going on ahead of time and then they would tell the people and then through scripture they would tell us. So that's what Isaiah is doing. He's foretelling the future. And in particular, he's foretelling about the birth of Jesus or the coming of the Messiah. We call him Jesus, right? So in Isaiah chapter nine, this is what he says. Uh, Isaiah says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And then we know this is about Jesus because a couple verses later, in verse 6 and following, he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At the end of verse 7, then he says that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah is talking about Jesus, and he says uh, when Jesus shows up, when the Messiah arrives, there'll be no more gloom for those in distress. People walking in darkness will have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, Jesus, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy because this promised Messiah has showed up and Christmas happens or is going to happen and it's going to change the dynamic of the relationship between man and God and even man with each other. It's going to alter everything, all right? So Isaiah uses a metaphor that is a kind of a common metaphor in the Bible. He uses this metaphor of light and darkness, light and darkness. And God uses that quite a bit in the Bible. And he's describing our spiritual condition. He would say some people are spiritually in darkness and some people are spiritually in the light. They've encountered the light and now they are in the light. In fact, later on in the Bible, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul grabs this same language and, and kind of builds on it a little bit. So the Apostle Paul says this. He's talking particularly to Christ followers here in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So Paul is, ta- is using that same metaphor, this light and darkness metaphor. And this is kind of the way it works. The Bible would say that before I interact with Christ... I am in spiritual darkness. It does not mean that my life is falling apart. It just, this is just spiritually. Spiritually, I'm in darkness. Then what happens is I encounter the light, and it's a metaphor for Jesus. The Bible would say that Jesus is the light of the world, right? So I encounter the light. The light, light always vanquishes darkness. It can't help itself. So the light pushes the darkness out, and then I live as a child of the light. So I am, I am not yet connected with Christ. I ask for and receive from Christ the forgiveness of my sin, the salvation of my soul. And in doing that, in response to God's love for me, I love him by putting my life under his definition and his direction. And then I live as a person that's defined and directed by Christ as a child of the light. So over here in darkness, all that darkness might mean <clears throat> is that I have not yet connected spiritually to the light of Christ. So my life might be fine, we'll talk about this in a second, but, but my soul is not where God would want it to be. I have not yet received the salvation and the forgiveness of my sin. I am kind of still living for myself, doing my thing, and I have not yet become defined and directed by Christ. I meet Christ, 
I yield to Christ, and now I live as a child of the light. And this is what Paul's talking to, uh, to uh, about here. He's talking to people who are Christ followers, and he says, that's what you, remember, you were in darkness spiritually, but now you're light in the Lord. You've received Christ, so I want you to live that way, okay? Now, Isaiah, going back to him, he grabs this, this language too, and now that we understand it a little bit, we can pick this passage apart. And when he talks about light <coughs> and darkness, he, he does something very interesting, and, and this is what I want to talk with you about this weekend, okay? So the first thing he does is he talks about darkness. And so let, let's spend a couple minutes on darkness. He says, nevertheless, when this, when this child is given, when this son is given, this child is born, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress spiritually. The people walking in darkness will have seen a great light. Those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. So when Isaiah talks about darkness, he, he kind of talks about it on a, on a spectrum. He says, he says in essence here, there, there's, a, there's a spectrum of darkness. There's people walking in darkness and then there's people living in a land of deep darkness, and light has come to all of these people, right? Now, this is fascinating, because when I think about myself spiritually, some people spiritually are people who are walking in darkness. Darkness is a relative idea, right? So it's a relative idea. There, there's levels of darkness and Isaiah says there's, a, there's people who walk in darkness, they function in darkness, but they're still in darkness. So let me illustrate this for you. Uh, if we turn the lights off on me right now, go ahead and turn the lights off, fellas, right? Sorry, ladies, you can't see me. I know, disappointing. Okay, here it is. If, if we turn these lights off right now, we would say it's dark. It's dark, right? We, you, we walked into the auditorium, we're used to the lights being bright, everything being set up the way that it's normally set up, and, and they're not like they should be, and it's dark. Now, here's the thing. Once our eyes adjust, we can function in this darkness. So if, if there was an emergency right now, we all could like get up and leave the room and be fine because our eyes just have to adjust to the darkness, and then we can live in the darkness because we've grown used to it, all right? But when you put the light back on, in comparison to the darkness, you see what the light actually is. So go ahead and bring the lights back up, okay? So what, what Isaiah is saying is there's people, all kinds of people, that walk in darkness, their lives are not falling apart. They're good people. They're responsible people. They're industrious people. They're religious people. They're compassionate people. They, they function in that darkness, and their eyes adjust to it, and, and we get used to the darkness, right? It's normal. We live in Northeast Ohio. It's normal, right, that you walk outside and it's dark, but you compare it to the sunny day. You compare it to the light. It's only when you encounter the light that you recognize the darkness. Okay? And Isaiah is saying there's all kinds of people, they, they live like that spiritually, spiritually. They're, they're good people, nice people, 
but spiritually they have not yet engaged or received the light of Christ. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. Now the other end of the spectrum that he kind of mentions here is this idea, that there's also people living in a land of deep darkness. And deep darkness is, is another side or level of darkness. I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, uh, it's so dark I can't see my hand in front of my face. You ever heard that phrase? There, there's been a couple times in my life that that's been true. Um, a, a few years ago, Heidi and I took the, the kids on a trip, and one of the places we stopped was in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And we went to this place called Carlsbad Caverns, which is beautiful. It's worth the drive. So this beautiful, wonderful place. And these caverns, you go uh, about a mile underground, and there's these beautiful caverns down there. And part of what they do in your little tour is they get to a point, and they shut the lights off. And when they shut the lights off, you literally, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. There is a total absence of light. And Isaiah uses that little metaphor too. And he says, There's a, there is a land of deep darkness. And some, pe- some people live in a functional darkness. We once we're used to it, we can kind of deal with it. Some people live in a deep darkness. It's the deep darkness of addiction the deep darkness of pain, the deep darkness of death and loss, the deep darkness of self-reliance, the deep darkness where the gospel is not clear or accessible. And when you're in deep darkness, you can't, you can't see your hand in front of your face. All you can do is kind of wander around. There's no way to orient yourself in deep darkness. And so it's a desperate place. So Isaiah describes this spiritual walking darkness. I call it kind of a functional darkness. And then he uses the metaphor and he says there's a deep darkness. And then he says the the solution to both of those is light. So for people walking in darkness, there's a great light. When the great light shines, you recognize your darkness. You're like, oh, that's what everything's supposed to look like. Now I see For the people in deep darkness, a light has dawned. You're in deep darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. If there's one little beam of light, you you can now orient yourself and move toward it. And Isaiah says, and the Bible would use this metaphor a lot, that that's us spiritually. That outside of Christ, we are in darkness, whether it's a functional darkness or, or whether it's a, a deep darkness, we're in that darkness nonetheless. And what we need is light, hope, a savior. So in the people walking in darkness, the people in deep darkness, this is where in Luke 2, the angels would say, hey, there's good news, great joy for all the people. Unto you, born this day in the city of David, a savior has been born. I'm in a functional darkness. I still need a savior. In fact, over here in functional darkness, it's kind of harder to realize I need a savior. When I'm in deep darkness, I need a savior. Light is what's needed all across the board. So for some of us, that, that's where we would interact with Christmas, Right? where God would look and say, you know, metaphorically, spiritually, 
You have darkness in your heart. You have not yet realized your need for the Savior. Maybe you didn't even know one had been offered. And once those lights come on, you'll see the world as I meant for it to be seen. You'll see your relationship with me the way that I meant for it to be seen. Some of you are in deep darkness. Life has fallen apart and you're desperate for hope. And once the ray of light shines in, that hope will alter everything because I moved to you, Emmanuel, God with us. I came to you. I self-initiated a sacrificial act for your benefit, and I brought hope, salvation, a way of escape to you, and I want you to know it. And that, that's kind of what the Christmas story is for for you. We would start there at that place. Now, Jesus does something fascinating, okay? Jesus says something fascinating. He, he would say this. Jesus would, would want us to understand everything that we just talked about, and then he would look at his followers in particular, right? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook for, the, for the, this next part. But he would look for, at his followers in particular, and he would say this. He would say, once you have received the light, you are the light. Right? Once you have received the light, you are the light. You should probably get a tattoo of that. Once you have received the light, you are the light. And just like I brought great light to people walking in darkness, just like I dawned or brought a spark of light to people in deep darkness, that is now what you do. I want you to emulate, illustrate, and imitate me. And once you have received the light, you are the light. Now you bring light to dark places. This is the way he says it exactly. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you, you are the light of the world. He's talking to a followers. Once you are, once you receive the light, you are the light. So now you're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus would say, once you receive the light, you are the light, and what you do with that light is you take that light, you don't put it under a bowl, you put it on a stand, and you illuminate whatever house you're walking into, you give light to everybody in the room. You, the light always penetrates the darkness and always vanquishes it, right? You cannot have light and darkness like in the same place. The light's always gonna push the, the, the darkness away. So you are the light of the world. Now, when I read that passage and I think about following Jesus, here is probably kind of my fear with it a little bit, if it just as like a pastor, this is what I would think about, okay? I think that many people who are followers of Jesus Christ are very committed and very good at being lamps, but maybe not so strong at being lights, because lamps and lights actually have very little to do with each other. And I can be an excellent lamp and never provide light for anything. Okay, so let's talk about light here for a second. When I think about being a lamp as opposed to being a light, 
I'm actually talking about two different things, right? So here's a picture of a lamp. Somebody told me that's a pretty lamp. I can't tell I'm colorblind, but somebody told me that would be like a nice lamp, okay? So here's the thing. I can be a lamp. I can be an attractive lamp that brings value to a room, but never light it up. I can be, I can, in the decor of the room, I can add value to that room. I can be a good friend, a good teammate, a good roommate, a good workmate. I can, I can add value to that room as a lamp, but never bring light to the room. And it's good. It's a good thing. It's not, it's not necessarily negative. I mean, it's really positive to add value to a room, but it's not the same as bringing light to a room. As some of us are good lamps, and what we have is there, there's causes that we believe in. There's causes that God cares a lot about. If God was going to have a lamp in his house, it'd probably look like this. That, that's what he would have, right? And so we would say, yeah, I, I, I bring in, and when you look at me being a lamp, it's very clear what I stand for as a lamp. There's a cause that I believe in. I believe in the cause of like feeding hungry people. That's a great thing. I'm a lamp. I, you know that I stand for that. I, I believe in the cause of, of even, you could even put Grace Church in there. I go to Grace Church and I believe in what it does. I'm a lamp. I, I'm real strong with that. Uh, maybe you found a great way to lose weight, or you found a great way to make money, or you found a great skincare product. And when people think of you as a lamp, they think of those things. And it actually is not negative at all. In fact, sometimes it's really helpful for people, right? And so that lamp adds value, and the cause that lamp stands for is a positive cause. Uh, we do this even with like the holidays. You can look and say, you know what, I celebrate Christmas. Instead of being Muslim or Hindu, I, I kind of I identify with the Christian camp. And so I'm all about Christmas, all about the holiday. And when you look at me as a lamp, you think of holidays, right? That's what you think of. And so you look and say, I'm for the Christmas story, and I'm, I, I decorate for Christmas with the tree, and, and I'm about Christmas, and, and you can know me for that. And you would look and say, as a lamp, I'm in the room, I add benefit to the room. I add a cause, a, even a worthy one, to the room. I identify with the Christmas story, so like I'm in on Christmas, and I can be that lamp and never bring light. And we have to be careful with this because Jesus looks at his people and he doesn't say, if you have received light, you should be a great lamp. He says, if you if you receive the light, now you are the light. It's a different thing. Heidi and I have all kinds of lamps in our house. And the difference between a lamp serving as a lamp and a lamp serving as a light, ready? This, this is a great tattoo. Here it is, ready? Put this on Twitter. The difference between a lamp serving as a lamp and a lamp serving as a light, ready, is an act of intentionality. When we go to the lamp and flip the switch, it becomes a light. Lamps actually can exist in darkness just fine. Lights can't. 
You could, you could take Carlsbad Caverns, you could fill it with lamps, and people could even know it, and it would make no difference in that darkness at all. But when you flip the switch, when there's an act of intentionality, it causes the lamp to do what it was actually created to do. It redeems its beauty, it redeems its cause, it re redeems its identification. And it causes the lamp to become a light. And when I am in darkness, what I need is light, not a lamp. When I'm in a deep darkness, and my life is overcome, and I cannot find a way out, and I do not know what to do. The idea that there is a rescuer that is bringing light to me is the best news that you have ever given me. That somebody with, a, with an intentional act, a self-initiated, would, would flip the switch and come and get me out of my deep darkness See, the, the idea that I, I, I look and I'm walking in darkness and something is wrong with me and I just don't know what because I made the money and I got the girl and I have the car and now, the, now it just, I'm still empty inside. I'm chasing something and I don't even know what it is. And I'm frustrated. I, I won high school, made all the teams, and I'm the popular kid, but when I'm home alone, all that deep insecurity just drives me nuts, see? The idea that someone could come and peer inside of my soul and bring light to the nuances of me, the great physician could help me find out what's wrong with my heart. See, that, that light, I don't want a lamp. I want a light. I want somebody who can show me, help me, find it in me. And when I am in functional darkness, I, you can live in functional darkness, but this is what happens. Light penetrates even a functional darkness. It shows me a direction. In comparison to my functional darkness, the intensity of the light, see, helps me to find my way home, my way back to God. And Jesus looks and he says, listen, if you've received the light, you are the light. And you, you are the light of the world now, as if I myself were there making the appeal. You're there. You're the light of the world. And, and you don't put it under a bowl. There, there's no such thing as being a secretive follower of Christ. That, that biblically, that would make, have no logic to it. There, there's no such thing as I'm a, I'm a deeply committed lamp. Everybody knows my lampness. There would be no biblical logic to that. Jesus says, you don't, you don't put that light and restrain it or hide it or pull it back or make sure that it doesn't bug the darkness. What you do is you put it on a stand, not to be obnoxious and rude, but to bring light to everyone in the house. You let them know, you help them to see a light has dawned, a great light has shone. Right? And you bring me, just like I would do it, you bring me to the equation because if you've received the light, 
you become the light. Now I was taking this and bouncing around with a, a group of our staff. We always kind of go through our conversations together to see if they make sense. And one of the staff person uh, said, hey, I got some feedback. And she said to me, she goes, Jeff, I, I, I get it. Right? I get the darkness and the deep darkness thing. That was, that was good. I get the lamp light thing. That was cheesy enough that people will remember it. That was really good. And she said, what do I do with it? She goes, I think that's what you need to tell us and tell me. Like, tell us what, give me like practical steps. What do I do with this conversation? So I thought that was really great feedback by her. And so I thought about that for a little bit. And what I came to is I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what to tell you to do with this, okay? Th this is why. The reason I don't know what to tell you to do with it is because I don't walk into your dark rooms. You do. And light, the type of light that I bring to bear is directly correlated to the type of darkness that I'm trying to work in. So let me give you an example. If I am interacting with a person who's in deep darkness and their heart is hard and their mind is closed and their addictions are raging, their loss has turned to bitterness and they are in a place of deep darkness and they don't want to talk and they don't want to interact and they don't want to give up control of their life and they are self-reliant and they don't care anymore and their addictions for instance are raging out of control and everybody knows it and everybody fears where that's going into the where their life's going to wind up and that level of deep painful desperate darkness I might need to bring like a 50 million gazillion kilowatt spotlight onto that. We, we might need to get a counselor or a pastor and have an intervention. And that's, that's the level of intense light. We need, may need to shine that light right into their eyeballs and get them to wake up out of their deep darkness, right? By the way, Jesus does this. Sometimes Jesus, when, when he brings the light into our darkness, it's an intervention. He, he'll look at us and say, listen, I, you don't know your soul, but I do. And your soul is desperately wicked. And you are rebelling against me. And, and you are my enemy in your heart. And your sins are destructive. And they are destroying your life. And it is causing your life to be on a path of damnation. If you do not break free from the deep darkness that you are in, you are going to wind up in hell forever separated from me. You are sinning. You don't know what a sin is? Here, I'll give you a list. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are these things. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Well, I don't know what you want me to do. Here, let me give you a list. There's 10 things on this list. Thou shalt not. And there's times that God loves us so much and recognizes that we are so engrossed in our darkness that he will bring a 50 kilowatt light bulb and like blare it in our eyeballs because he wants to rescue us from this darkness. There's other darkness that you may have in your life that, that doesn't require that big spotlight in somebody's eyes. What it requires is candlelight. And you look at someone who's gone through a, a loss, for instance, and, and they're hurting, and they're in pain, 
and they're trying to face the holidays by themselves. And what they need is an invitation. The Christmas lights are on, the candles are lit, the table is set. And they need a warm, welcoming light of Christ. The most spiritual thing you might do during that time is pray over the food. You don't want to bring the spotlight to that. Hey, welcome to our home. Merry Christmas. You've got to repent of your sin. You don't want to do that. That's not going to work, right? That's not going to go well. Video it, because I actually want to see that happen. But, and you don't want to come over here to a person, hey, you know what? Jesus is really nice. So I don't know what to tell you to do, because I don't enter into your rooms, some rooms are candlelit rooms. Some rooms are spotlight rooms. Some rooms are different. You may have a person in deep darkness and they're desperate to get out of it. And so they don't need a, a mega spotlight pointing out all their faults. What they need is the rescue light on a helmet. That you came and got them and now they know the way and they can reach for something. Jesus doesn't always tell us how to be light. He tells us that we are. Not even that we should be, that we are. And what he would say is this, light seeks out darkness. Light doesn't run from darkness. Light doesn't participate in darkness. Light doesn't go into a dark house and make itself dark. Light always seeks the darkness. It wants to be in the darkness. It wants to alter the dynamic of the darkness. How do you do it? Well, Jesus would say this. This is what he says. He says, the way that you do this is you let your good deeds shine. You let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we use our good deeds. Now, what are those good deeds? Those good deeds are not good deeds that make us feel better. Ah, oh, it's so great. We volunteered this Christmas. Oh, I love it when we do that. That's fun. Let's go get sushi. Not those good deeds. They're not sanctimonious or self-righteous good deeds. Well, you know, what we did this past year is we quit drinking alcohol and went gluten-free. <laughs> right? So that, that's a self-righteous good deed, and you took most of the fun out of your life. Right? So, it, so it's not those good deeds. It's good deeds that bring glory to God. That good deed could be as simple as changing a light bulb or shoveling a sidewalk. I'm just reminding you that Jesus loves you and I don't know what else to do. Can I help? That good deed can be as intense as an intervention. I am not giving up on you, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna contend for your soul. And it's everything else in between. I wanna remind you that hey, you're not alone, I love you. Hey, here's this gift. I know it means something to you. Here's this act of generosity. And I'm going to do that good deed in humility. A good deed may be a peacemaking good deed. But when, when the person that the good deed is done for walks away, they're not remembering me. They're thinking about Christ. Jesus has not forgotten you. God knows you're in pain. I just want you to know that we do too, and, and we, we love you. Here's some cookies. <laughs> we love you. Here's an invitation. 
We love you and Christ does too. Here's a blessing in your life. So Jesus says, light, you're the light. Light seeks the darkness. It's what light does. I don't hide it. I illuminate with it. And when I'm not sure what to do, I'm not going in preaching a sermon, not going in with a t-shirt, eternity smoking or non-smoking, question mark. I'm going in doing whatever Jesus would do if he showed up in the house. Sometimes he confronted the sin. Sometimes he restocked the wine. But he, it always brought glory to him and expressed love, his love, to, to the people that he encountered. All right? Now probably... Probably when we think about this, there's, there's a few chairs that, that we might find ourselves in that would cause us to receive this differently, right? So if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the chair that you would kind of sit in for this conversation is this darkness and light chair. That metaphor would be the thing you'd want to lean into, that you're spiritually in darkness. Maybe you're in a functional darkness. Maybe you're in a deep darkness. But, but that's where you would be, what the Bible would explain to you. And so the way that you would interact with this is to look and say, in comparison to my darkness or in my deep darkness, I need light. The hope, the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ alone. So here would be a question for you. Has there ever been a time, a moment in your life where you have looked at Christ and said, I accept you as a savior, not as a figure or a religion or a concept of goodness, but a savior of my soul? Have you ever asked for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you ever placed your life under the definition and the direction of Jesus Christ? Is walking as a child of light something that is normal for you and right for you and logical for you? And if you never have interacted with Christ in that way, that would be the Christmas message for you, that a Savior has come, a child has been born, a son has been given. And a loving God, the zeal of the Lord Almighty caused this to happen. God loves you. He's not out to get you. What I would encourage you to do, if that's your chair, is to talk to God, your heart to his heart. He does not care what you say. He cares what you mean. And when you look and say, God, I I choose to believe, Jesus, that you are God. I choose to believe that you alone can forgive me. I choose to quit steering my own life and and give you control over it, right? I want you to define me and direct me. The Bible says what happens when we do that is we receive, remember the metaphor, we receive the light. And and the, the light illuminates our spiritual darkness and we become children of God. So if you're in that chair, that may be how you want to process this conversation. A second chair would would be this, as a Christ follower now, as I sit in the chair as a Christ follower, there's, there's a couple chairs there. One is this, I need to look and say, what, what house can I take light into 
And how am I going to do that? So for some of you to be a light in a dark place, all you got to do is go home, <laughs> right? All you got to do is be with the family. And so you would, you would stop and say, okay, I am the light. What stand am I going to put this light on? How do I, with gentleness and respect, really big words right there, not obnoxiousness and volume, but with gentleness and respect, how, what, what type of light should I bring to the type of darkness that I'm going to interact with? And what do I do with that? Now, for some of us, you don't go home for that. My, Heidi and I had uh, kind of my side of the family uh, Christmas this weekend and, and Heidi's side of the family next weekend. And we're blessed. Everyone in our family are followers of Christ. So my, my mom and dad were first-generation believers. All of their children, all of their children's spouses, all of their grandchildren, and all of their grandchildren's spouses are all Christ followers. And the same thing is true on, on Heidi's side of the family. Uh, her grandfather broke the cycles, and so her mom and dad and then all of their children, all of their children's children are followers of Christ. So we go to light. It, it's, it's a huge blessing. I'm grateful for it. Uh, met with my brother and his family. You know, we got together on Friday, and we were talking about how to, how to help somebody know Christ. We prayed together for somebody's soul. It's great, Right? So for Heidi and I, for instance, when we think about this, we have to think about other houses that are spiritually dark. And so we have to strategize. How, what house are we going to go to to bring light? What house are we invited into already to bring light? And how do we in that bring that light with a gentleness and respect? How do we bring the appropriate light to the appropriate darkness? Okay. So if you're in that chair as a Christ follower, you, should, you might want to pray about that. You might want to talk about that with, with your team, your family, whoever that is, your roommate, whoever it is. And how do we bring that light to that darkness? Now there's a third chair that's related to that second one, and it's this. Ready? Some of you are wonderfully positioned as lamps. You're already in the house. You're welcomed in the house. You're appreciated in the house. You're loved in the house. You're unified with the house. You've got the same cause. But you're a lamp in a dark house providing no light. So for those of us in that chair who are great lamps, and by the way, being a great lamp is important. Don't, don't hear me knocking that totally. It's important. It's just not enough. You're a great lamp, and what's missing is an act of intentionality, the flipping of the switch. So again, going to the Lord, how do I, how do I flip the switch and how do I help this light illuminate the house? What does that mean in this given situation? What are the acts of good deeds? What good deeds can I do that bring glory to God, not satisfaction to me or condemnation on other people? And God has to steer you through that. I don't, I don't have an easy answer. Heidi and I talk about that kind of stuff. Our kids and us talk about that kind of stuff because our family wants to bring light to dark places. I can tell you what we try to do. Doesn't always work, 
I tell you what we try to do, but I can't tell you what to do. So you have to interact with the Lord. You have to be led by the Spirit to figure out how to flip that switch and to set that light on the right stand and offer kind of the, the right amount of light in accordance with the darkness that you may be in, all right? When we do all this, what happens is we bring hope home for Christmas. This is what Christ did. He, he invaded the darkness. And it's fascinating. This powerful, just, all-knowing, creative, creator God invaded the darkness with gentleness, meekness. He invaded as a baby. Isn't that fascinating? And in all of that, he, he's modeling us. He's modeling something for us. And as a Christ follower, I want to emulate, illustrate that, and, 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 and imitate it. And I want to bring that to my home this Christmas. All right, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come out. I encourage you guys, I encourage you just to be still. Like put the phone away and the, that kind of stuff. Like, like take the 10 minutes and just be with God. I think this is an important part of our relationship with God. If we can just press pause for a second and engage that, you might be shocked how God leads you and helps you. So spend some time praying and thanking with him, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Help us with this. This is a, it's something you do. And so, Holy Spirit, help us to see, help us to discern, help us to, to be motivated to be the light that we are and, uh, and to figure out and understand the stand and, and how to do that. Holy Spirit, for those of us who don't know you yet, and Jesus, you as our Savior, you say that you draw us, and you draw us with your kindness. And so God, help us, that, that tugging that we might feel on our heart right now, that unusual sensitivity to being connected with you, that's all you working in us. Help us to respond to that with a, with a courage and a confidence in your love. Wherever we're at, whatever you're calling us to, help us to know you and yield to you in it, Jesus. In your name we pray and ask for your help. Amen.